More local content. Saturday morning coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk 94.5. Now, two full hours. More Reese means more coffee. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee. It's Saturday, March 28th. Welcome to the show. It's another edition of Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. I am Reese Boyd, local attorney here in Myrtle Beach with the firm of Davis and Boyd, attorneys at law. I'm your host for Saturday Morning Coffee. Welcome to the show. At Saturday Morning Coffee, we invite you to sit down, pour yourself a cup of your favorite beverage. We like coffee. Join us as we talk about the news, current events, what's happening in your world, all the things that we think you need to know. Lots going on. A lot continues to happen with the coronavirus pandemic. Um, so we're going to do a little bit uh, to update you on that this morning. You might be suffering from coronavirus fatigue. I know I am suffering from coronavirus fatigue, not a medical symptom, just a uh, just a psychological reaction to the 24-7, nonstop, round-the-clock coverage of uh, this coronavirus pandemic. But I think uh, the good news, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and why I'm encouraged to talk to you a little bit more about it this morning is I, I feel like there's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel that we're seeing the data starting to move uh, in the right direction. And, of course, we've had big news this week, the Imperial College study that was the original basis uh, for much of the, uh, I hate to use the word hype, but for much of the, much of the uh, uh, concern over this pandemic, has now been revised by uh, its study by Dr. Ferguson, the author, and uh, the numbers there have been substantially revised downward. And so, and then there's, uh, of course, discussion, ongoing discussion in the community about just how uh, virulent uh, this uh, disease is, just how um, contagious it is, whether the ultimate infection rates are going to be as high as they were initially projected. And, and, and frankly, the, there's, there's hope. There is reason for hope. There is always hope, folks. We are going to get through this. Do not be dismayed. This too shall pass. But uh, there is uh, literal, I think, a light at the end of the tunnel. So we'll talk about that uh, today without uh, burdening you guys too much with uh, too much more saturation on the uh, on the on the topic. We've got a couple of uh, guests coming up uh, today. We'll be talking with uh, a little bit later in the show. We'll be talking with Captain Jerry Rovner, who is uh, the chairman of the SCGOP for the seventh district. Jerry is going to be talking with us about uh, the upcoming GOP seventh district convention, which is being held. Uh, virtually this year, thanks to our uh, friends, uh, the uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic. So that'll be a new twist for what is uh, typically uh, held at this time. The uh, convention will be held uh, electronically. And so we're going to talk to uh, Captain Rovner about that, get his update and his perspective on how that will take place. And uh, additionally, a little bit later in the program, in the second cup hour, uh, we'll be talking with uh, Dr. Michael Ratz. Dr. Ratz is a medical internist uh, with uh, Georgetown, well, actually with Tidelands Health, excuse me. 
And uh, so we're looking forward to that discussion. Uh, Dr. Ratz is an internal medicine hospitalist, and uh, he's also chief of staff, uh, director of hospital medicine at the Tidelands Health Systems. So uh, Dr. Ratz is going to give us the perspective of a healthcare provider uh, for those of us uh, who are not in the health field. Many of us not in the health field, thankful at this moment that we don't have to be on the front line, but we are so thankful for those people who are. And we want to talk to Dr. Ratz about that, get that perspective. And I think y'all will find that interesting. But uh, so uh, interesting show coming up today, not exclusively about the coronavirus uh, uh, issue, but we'll get to some additional updates momentarily. The uh, uh, bottom line here is uh, we want you to come away feeling like um, all of your social distancing is paying off. And it appears, frankly, that there's a room for, um, you know, uh, some uh, uh, relaxing of uh, our, our anticipation, our fear level. That's not to say we don't want to continue to social distance, but we'll get to that. Uh, here at Saturday Morning Coffee, as I said, we invite you to sit down, pour yourself a cup of your favorite coffee and join us as we talk about the news. We're all about limited government, lower taxes and uh, general transparency and accountability from your government officials, which is uh, increasingly hard to come by and a bit of a, a bit of a quaint notion in the current environment. Uh, not much discussion these days about limited government and lower taxes, but uh, there is, uh, of course, the three trillion plus, uh, two trillion plus relief bill that has been enacted this week uh, by our federal government. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, but we remain committed to the ideals of conservative government uh, here at the show, folks, and we're going to continue to talk about those principles. And uh, we're not going to give up uh, the fight for conservative, limited government in these United States more than ever. Now we've got a country to save, and you guys have to be vigilant. You've got to stand up, speak up, and be counted and be heard by your representatives. And, uh, yes, we needed the stimulus package. Uh, I think it was a— um, a necessary evil, frankly, and no question about it, it had to happen. There are folks hurting, uh, millions of folks out of work who needed uh, relief, and and that we have those tools and we should use them. But by the same token, I want everybody to keep in mind that we were in the negative $1 trillion for our federal budget this year, and that was before the coronavirus pandemic uh, broke out. And so now, in one fell swoop, uh, your federal government has allocated well in excess of $2 trillion, and we were already looking at uh, a $23 trillion uh, debt situation, and that's not including all the off-the-books debt obligations. So we're now we're getting into real, <laughs> really big numbers, as, uh, as Senator Everett Dirksen would say. You know, Dirksen used to have an old expression, a billion here, a billion there, pretty soon you're talking about real money. We're talking about real money on the debt front, folks, and it's not even that doesn't even include what we've now done through the Federal Reserve on the monetary side. So, uh, we've got issues to deal with. Uh, one of the things I want to thank um, I want to thank Bill Taylor, Representative Bill Taylor. One of the things we did talk about last week that was uh, non-coronavirus oriented is the Convention of the States. One of the reasons the Convention of the States is so important is federal spending is an area where Congress has just refused to act. Uh, there's been discussion of balanced budgets uh, amendments over the years, but as you know, nothing has ever uh, actually come to pass. 
And as a result, uh, one of the real reasons that we need to consider strongly this notion of a convention of the states is to get this fiscal issue in hand. And uh, Congress has not, as we've now been through multiple generations of uh, Congress, people have come and gone from Congress, and for decades now, that issue has not been addressed. And so I want to thank Representative Taylor uh, for speaking to us last week about the Convention of the States. Uh, it's an issue, it's an idea that, that uh, we definitely need to consider. And uh, we also invite you guys, so thank you for that, and I want y'all to keep that uh, issue on your mind. We'll be talking more about that uh, in the future. And uh, I want to invite you guys to uh, join the show as well today. You can dial in on the text line, or excuse me, you can dial in on the voice line, the call-in line at 843-903-2945. You can also text us with your comments. That number is 843-798-TALK. That is uh, 843-798-8255. And uh, in addition to the text line, you can also tweet your comments to us. The Twitter handle is at Reese Boyd. And you can email your comments to reeseboydsmc at gmail.com. Many of you have contacted. I got quite a few calls this week at the office, even though we were working mostly remotely. But you can reach me at the offices of Davis and Boyd. That number is 843-839-9800. 843-839-9800. Stick with us. We've got a lot coming at you today. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors with more Saturday Morning Coffee. Saturday Morning Coffee. Call the show at 843-903-2945. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour returns after these on Talk 94.5. You're listening to the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. Saturday Morning Coffee on Talk 94.5. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee. I'm Reese Boyd, your host. Hope you are up and at them this morning. It's your Saturday morning, March 28th, 2020, 720 a.m. on your Saturday morning. And uh, we're uh, looking at a beautiful day out there, aren't we, Mr. Producer? Uh Uh-oh. Mr. Producer, I caught Mr. Producer off guard. Uh Uh-oh. We are looking. For, we are looking at a beautiful day, folks. I've I've heard rumors here in the studio that we may hit uh, the high 80s uh, today, and uh, and um, so we'll see what happens. Um, but do get outside. Take advantage of this opportunity for social distancing to get outside and uh, enjoy some of this fine weather uh, that uh, we've been blessed with today. Latest, uh, continuing with a brief coronavirus update, uh, latest uh, coronavirus statistics. Uh, these are from the, uh, this is from the worldmeters.info site. And I'm getting some different numbers now. You're starting to see some uh, uh, divergence in the reporting out there. So, you know, uh, do your own due diligence. But uh, at the World Meters site, World Meters is reporting, which is the site that uh, the Liz Calloway show has been using to keep um, 
up with the coronavirus pandemic numbers. Now reporting 104,256 cases in the United States. That's as of March 28th, 2020. That's today, 1116 uh, Greenwich Mean Time. So I guess that's about 616 Eastern. Um, and uh, 1,704 deaths with 2,525 recoveries. That's documented folks who have had the disease and are now fully recovered. The numbers that I got as of the morning briefing yesterday from the Wall Street Journal were slightly uh, different, a little more um, a little more there than what World Meters is reporting. Uh, Wall Street Journal as of Friday is reporting 124,164 cases um, uh, confirmed recovery. And that's worldwide out of 542,417 confirmed cases worldwide. Uh, their numbers are slightly, uh, su- well, actually significantly different. They're reporting fewer cases in the U.S. Wall Street Journal reporting as of yesterday, 85,991 confirmed cases in the U.S. with 1,200 and 96 deaths. Um, according to the Wall Street Journal, as of yesterday, the um, uh, individual number of individuals who have passed away globally are 24,354. Again, these numbers being reported uh, by the Wall Street Journal uh, and as compiled by Johns Hopkins uh, University. There were, according to the Wall Street Journal, 18,000 new cases reported on Thursday, which was up from 12,000 new cases reported Wednesday. And so, again, this entire uh, debate, and we'll get into this uh, a little bit more with Dr. Ratz in the second hour, the entire debate here, I think, hinges on where the uh, projection for this curve goes in terms of number of cases and and just how uh, serious the uh, mortality rate is for this uh, disease. One of the things that um, obviously prompted all of the response and the shutdown of our economy is the, the, the curve. When you plot the number of curves since about March 10, the number of uh, cases reported within the United States, it, it, it looks like a, a, a number growing exponentially. That is, you know, 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64, etc. You don't have to do that for very many days and you have a very serious problem. So, but interestingly enough, again, the data is starting to suggest that perhaps it's not as virulent as, uh, as we may have originally thought. And, um, and perhaps uh, among, and of course, if it's not, the two, two factors are just how easy is it uh, to transmit this disease from one to the other? And what is the mortality rate of those who contract the disease? Uh, what, will, um, what will the results uh, be? And uh, so we're, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, later with Dr. Ratz. I wanted to uh, bring y'all up to date on some local news. There is, um, you know, there were there were some local ordinances that were passed. Uh, the city of Myrtle Beach, um, in response to the, let's call it the hue and cry for um, uh, more regulation of the uh, coronavirus pandemic, enacted an ordinance uh, this week which provides for uh, short-term uh, visitors uh, to basically uh, provides for them to uh, leave by Sunday. That uh, ordinance was filed, and of course there are various uh, provisions 
that are built into the ordinance uh, in terms of who it applies to and who it doesn't. And, um, and of course, the county, Ori County, followed itself with its own enactment uh, this week, uh, meeting an emergency session to enact its own ordinance. That was followed by the um, that was followed by an attorney general's opinion this week by Attorney General uh, Alan Wilson for South Carolina, questioning whether these local ordinances impacting um, uh, local visitors, travel, stay, etc., whether these local ordinances are actually enforceable or not. So there's a little bit of a debate that is ongoing about, you know, what is, what is it appropriate for a local government to do um, and whether or not it's appropriate for a local government to regulate these issues. My position on it is that local government is where you want these issues to be addressed because, frankly, what's good for Myrtle Beach may not be good for Gaffney. Um, I know there are legal issues involved, and, and the attorney general has um, some ideas about that, and I get that. But I do think that the local governments are well positioned to regulate, uh, particularly in tourist destinations like Myrtle Beach. The local governments are well positioned to uh, regulate what's happening. Uh, we're the ones who see what you know what the what the um, uh, visitor population looks like. We know where they're coming from. Uh, the city manager uh, under this Myrtle Beach ordinance has been instructed to immediately implement an executive order. This is the city of Myrtle Beach ordinance. Uh, it says city Myrtle City Myrtle Beach is instructed to the city manager is instructed to take action as necessary to promote uh, public health uh, and to be authorized to further further work with um, um, uh, city county state federal resources until the coronavirus has been brought under control. Um, the uh, the ordinance is um, again gives these folks until Sunday. If, you, if they're on a short-term rental, which has uh, not been um, in place, uh, if they've not been here prior to March 15, the, the corona, the, they have a uh, limited amount of time. They have to be out of here by Sunday. So it's really interesting. It's going to be curious to see what happens uh, with these folks and, uh, and how this is dealt with. Um, the public information officer for the city and the county were on the Liz Calloway show talking about it. Um, that has been followed, by the way, all these ordinances uh, enacted have been followed by the governor's office late yesterday, as of late yesterday, followed up with Executive Order 2020-14, which provides that all ordinances, among other things, it provides for a mandatory, um, it, it, this, is a, uh, this is a lengthy executive order, by the way, uh, and it goes on uh, to uh, various uh, provisions as to how we got here. And it says that uh, it, it hereby orders and directs that any individual entering the state of South Carolina from an area with substantial community spread, that's the coronavirus pandemic, including the tri-state area, the states of New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, and the city of New Orleans, Louisiana, also identified, shall isolate or self-quarantine for a period of 14 days from the time of entry into the state or the duration of the individual's visit uh, and their presence in South Carolina, whichever period is shorter. Um, the directive or any, and, and uh, let's see, excuse me, the, this order shall not apply to individuals employed by airlines, individuals performing or assisting with military, health care, or emergency response operations, any individual required to be responsible for any and all uh, 
cost of social of such social isolation, self quarantine, including transportation, lodging, food, and medical care. I hereby authorize. This is the governor's executive order. I hereby authorize instruct the Department of Health and Environmental Control, that's South Carolina DHEC, to provide any necessary and appropriate supplemental guidance regarding the interpretation, application of enforcement of this order. And it talks about various enforcement provisions that are included. Um, and interestingly enough, it says in the general provision section, if or to the extent that any political subdivision of this state seeks to adopt or enforce local ordinance, rule, regulation, or other restriction that conflicts with this order, this order shall supersede and preempt any such local ordinance, rule, regulation, or other restriction. So there's uh, an interesting, um, you know, it's interesting to see how this all will play together and play out. So we'll see. We'll uh, get back to that and more of your questions, your calls, your text. Stick with us. We'll be right back after these messages. Don't leave town. We'll be right back with more Saturday morning coffee. And more. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour is now two full hours. More Reese means more coffee. Coming up next on Talk 94.5. Thanks for waking up with Saturday morning coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk 94.5. Can keep my hands to myself. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. I am Reese Boyd, your host. I'm your guide on this expedition into broadcast excellence, bringing you up to date on what you need to know. Joined here in the studio by producer extraordinaire, Glenn Dye. Good morning, Mr. Dye. How are you? We're having some microphone issues with you this morning, Mr. Dye. I'm not hearing you, sir. We're now 0 for 2. We're now 0 for 2 on your microphone. Try that again. You're, you are... You are offline, sir. Well, I, take me for take me for my word, folks. I'm joined here in the studio by Glenn Dye. By Glenn Dye, the radio guy. <laughs> there you go. There yeah. you go. Mystery, I, mystery saw. You are here. Yeah, but who's been messing with the board? Somebody's been messing with your who's board. Been, who's been in here messing with this board? Don't touch my board. Uh, what are you drinking this morning, Mr. I Bruce? am still stuck on that French roast uh, Starbucks, man. I, you know, stuff? You see what I've got here this morning. I, that's like six cups in one you got, container. You, yeah, you've got the third cup hour, the fourth cup hour. It's You're pre- all set. It's preheated. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you why I've got a chance. What are we going to do about haircuts? You know, my, uh, my two depressing things happened this week. Um, you yeah. lost your razor. I can tell that. I, I lost my razor. Um, I went by the place where I get my haircut, and and uh, the sign on the door says closed until right. further notice. Right. And uh, and I get that. Look, if I was if I was clipping hair, um, yeah. yeah, I would yeah. I would have serious yeah. serious concerns. Well, you know, we do the same thing at the law office. We meet with folks, and we've had to readjust the way we work. We yeah. we generally have 
a lot of people in and out of the law office, and we've adjusted our workflows. We've got quite a few people working from home. That's been right. that's been an adjustment. So, but yeah, my uh, my haircutting uh, vendor of choice is now closed, and I yeah. went by the Starbucks, Glenn, in Merle's Inlet. They are closed until further notice. Not uh, even the drive-through is not even open. Yeah. So, well, a lot going on. To, a lot going on out there. Starting to curl up on the in the I back know, there. I'm and, getting a little. I'm, I, my wife's like, uh, we're going to have to break out the razor, or we might need to buy some stock in Floby. Remember the 1980s yeah, the, Floby? <laughs> hook it up to your wet dry vac and cut your own hair at home, buddy. You know, we might have. Well, there might be a business opportunity there. There's all kind of business opportunities. You know, one of the things that I'm amazed by. I'll, I'll share this with you, and we're going to shift gears here in a second. One of the things. Um, well, while we're on the subject of uh, coffee, Glenn, before I do that. Um, I want to thank, uh, we've got so many loyal listeners, and I've had folks, and we've already had one listener call in this morning, talk to Mr. Dive for a minute, and uh, he said he would call the office, didn't want to come on the air, but uh, just love talking to you guys during the week. I, I really consider you guys to be friends, and uh, we had one of our listeners a uh, week before last uh, drop by, and uh, Terry Ford dropped by the office and dropped off uh, some coffee. She gave me some black rifle coffee glenn i'm drinking um, black rifle coffee this morning you guys i encourage you to search for black rifle coffee and try it out it's great it's good stuff and uh and uh, it's uh as i understand it um they have a lot of uh, uh great things that they do for men and women in uniform that uh that uh, when you support them i i think it's a uh, it's a good uh, it's a good cause as well so right. Um, so enjoy and enjoy that if you would, and uh, check out Black Rifle Coffee. I'll post a link to Black Rifle, in fact, on the on the uh, social media page. Speaking of which, you guys can find Saturday Morning Coffee on social media by searching Facebook for Saturday Morning Coffee, and I invite you guys to follow us on Twitter. Uh, the Twitter handle again is at Reese Boyd. So follow the show on Twitter. We'll be posting a link to uh, Black Rifle Coffee and the Convention of the States. On, uh, on the Twitter feed again, so you guys can continue to be aware of that um, and follow that for additional, follow those sites for additional information on uh, the Convention of the States effort. Um, and uh, as I said, I wanted to uh, shift gears. We're going to talk for a moment with uh, Captain Jerry Rovner. Captain Rovner is uh, the seventh district chairman for the South Carolina GOP. I got an email. Uh, this week from the South Carolina uh, Republican Party indicating that the uh, forthcoming uh, 7th District Convention was going to be held, but it was going to be held uh, virtually. So I think this may be a first uh, for the uh, Republican Party here in South Carolina. So we're going to ask uh, uh, Captain Robner some questions about that. And I believe you're on the line with us, Captain Robner. Are you there? Right here. All right, very good. Wonder, the wonders of technology. Uh, we are uh, on uh, the air with uh, uh, with Jerry Robner. Jerry's the chairman for the South Carolina GOP for the seventh uh, congressional district. And uh, Jerry, I got an email this week from the party indicating that the uh, forthcoming uh, convention on April four was going to be held, but held uh, online. Tell, tell for folks who are not familiar with the convention process and how that works in in an ordinary time, how would the 7th District uh, Convention have taken place, and what's the purpose of that uh, convention? Okay, uh, before, before I answer the question, I'm getting, I'm getting feedback. But, um, Jerry, if you have your radio on in the background, you might want to turn no, that. No, I, I just have the phone on, so um, let me just, can you hear me? I can hear you, I can hear you just fine right now. All right, let me put something, if you indulge 
indulge me for a second. I just want to put something in perspective. Sure. Um, you know, this this virus is pretty pretty bad. Uh, we don't realize the inconvenience we have. Our inconvenience for you know uh, voting for people that go to the uh, national convention um, is is kind of minor when you put it in perspective. I got a call last night from my one of my good friends who I've known for fifty years. I served with him in the Navy. And he was diagnosed with uh, severe cancer, and he can't get in. He's he's out in uh, up the Upper Peninsula of Michigan in his hospitals in Wisconsin, and Wisconsin's on lockdown, and he can't get in to get tests before the, you know the surgery. So he's sitting there worrying, worrying, worrying. And the first they can see them uh, is because of the shutdown in the hospitals is the fifteenth. I wouldn't want to be in you know in his position. So sure. a shout out for you know, that's that's what's important. And then I was reading an article last night. I don't know if you're familiar with what the governor of uh, Rhode Island did. Yes. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I've, I've heard, but go ahead. and, and uh... The governor of Rhode Island has got the state police looking for a New York license plate. Yeah. And having them pulled over and tested to make sure that uh, they're not bringing the uh, virus into Rhode Island. So it's a, I don't ever remember that in our lives. Do you remember that at all, Reese, about cops pulling you over because of your you know, your license plate, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know if that's uh, singling out people or targeting or whatever you want to call it. But Yeah, the, the, the constitutionality of that would be dubious at best, Jerry. I, I think that is probably something that is uh, flatly contrary uh, to the Constitution. But, you know, it, I, don't, I don't think anybody's going to challenge it at the moment. In, in, at least nobody in Rhode Island is probably going to challenge it at the moment. So it, it's an okay. interesting, but no, uh, short answer, I don't, I don't believe we've ever seen anything quite like that, uh, in, certainly not in my lifetime. Yeah, so when you, when you go to that you know, and you go to you know, what we were doing, every, let me just explain what the conventions are. There are seven congressional districts in the state of South Carolina. Other states have um, a lot more uh, congressional sure. districts and. You know, the, the same process goes through in each one in the Republican side, where each um, county uh, is represented. And in, in, in the seventh, there's eight counties, and they're all represented by a you know, group of people that were picked last year. And, I mean, it all goes back to your reorganization for the entire state. So the first thing that takes place is, you, you know, you have a reorganization for your precincts, which is at the local level. And then um, every two years you have a county convention, which uh, Ori had, Georgetown had, Florence had, uh, Marlboro, Marion, Dar- Darlington, Chesterfield, Dillon, which, is the, which are the counties that we, we are a part of in the 7th Congressional District. Um, that was last year. And at that convention, the, you're, you're voting for um, your leadership, which would be your county chair, your, your vice chair, your secretary, etc. Sure. And you're also voting for people that are be delegate to the state convention, which means they'll they'll go up to the state convention and they'll vote on business uh, that takes place in every four years. You vote on a new state party chair, vice chair, um, you know, outreach people, etc. Mm-hmm. Then in be- every four years we have um, a presidential election. And that presidential election, um, the people that were chosen as delegates the previous year and alternates are now given the opportunity to vote for a number of people to go to to represent them to the national convention. And you you also pick a vote 
sought new leadership for the, um, or renewed leadership, however you want to put it, for the seventh, for each congressional district. So what we what we do is we have a we ha you have a meeting and uh, the people are picked. Now there's a very selective thing. Right now in the seventh congressional district, you have 126 delegates, and that's fairly standard throughout the the state. I mean it varies by by county. Uh, Horry County has uh, 48 votes. Um, mm -hmm. And and those and just to clarify, those would be 126 delegates to the national GOP convention. No. Oh. It would be 126 candidates to this to the district convention. Oh, okay. All right. Seventh congressional. Okay. And it goes. It, there's some that uh, some of the districts have seven. I mean, 131. Some have less. So you know, it depends. Like Horry County is the second largest in delegation in the mm -hmm. state. And Horry County has 48, whereas Georgetown has 12. Yeah. Lawrence has 22. Marlboro has seven. Okay. And, the, and these people get together and they vote on who they want to send to the RNC National Convention. Each district gets three delegates and three alternates. That's it. And then there's a state meeting held. And right now, the state meeting is scheduled for May. I'm pretty sure that's going to be changed. Um, it, it may mirror what we're going to do here in the in the seventh. Yeah. Um, you think that will that, will that meeting that also be a virtual? No, we don't know that yet. No. And it, you know, there's a, there's a possibility that in May we might be able to go back, or maybe push back a little bit. I think it yeah. can go back. I think it can go back as far as June because the national convention is. Um, it takes place in August. Yeah. Now, one of the things that people have done... Jerry, Jerry, can I interrupt you? Can I get you to hold with us through a break? We've got to take a hard break, and we'll be right back after these words from our sponsor. But can you stick with us for a few more minutes? Absolutely. Okay, we'll be right back with more with Captain Jerry Robner of the SCGOP 7th District, and we'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. Don't leave town. We'll be right back with more Saturday morning coffee. Saturday morning coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour is now two full hours. More Reese coming up next on Talk 94.5. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour, two full hours on Talk 94.5. That's great. It starts with an earthquake. Birds and snakes and airplane. Lenny Bruce is not afraid. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. I am Reese Boyd, your host. It is 7.50 on your Saturday morning, Saturday, March 28, 2020. 
Uh, interesting musical choice from Mr. Producer. That's uh, <laughs> that's the standard theme song for our coronavirus update. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. But uh, I just learned that the coronavirus actually lowered the death rate in Chicago. It did. Well, that's that's interesting news. We'll get to that. Um, uh, I will talk about that in a in a, in a brief uh, moment, Mr. Producer. That's interesting news. But uh, this is not your coronavirus update. We're actually on the phone with uh, Jerry Roffner, who is the seventh district chairman for the South Carolina Republican Party. We're talking about the forthcoming South Carolina GOP seventh district convention coming up on April four, which, because of the coronavirus pandemic, is going to be held online this year. Going to be a virtual con- convention. Folks are not actually not actually going to breach executive order and assemble in a group of one hundred or more. We are actually going to meet uh, as Republicans online for purposes of selecting delegates uh, to the national convention coming up in August in Charlotte, I believe. Isn't that correct, Jerry? Yes. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Uh, Let me just share one thing with you, Jerry. You mentioned an interesting issue going on in uh, Rhode Island and the statement the Rhode Island governor made uh, yesterday, I believe, about authorizing state police in Rhode Island to stop people with New York tags. And I actually meant to look this up, Jerry, and I hadn't had a chance to do so yet. Um, And uh, but I looked it up over the break. Uh, freedom of uh, transiting transiting uh, for U- United States citizens under the U.S. Constitution from state to state is generally regarded as being protected under the Privileges and Immunities Clause of the Constitution, which states the citizens of each state shall be entitled to all privilege and immunity of citizens of citizens in the several states, meaning that you should have the same rights under uh, law in one state as you do in the other, and one state cannot uh, harm uh, citizens of other states uh, to their detriment in favor of its own citizens, which is, you know, it gets kind of cloudy in terms of uh, some things we do, like in-state tuition, things like that. But it points, uh, this entry at Wikipedia points to a circuit court ruling in 1823, freedom of movement has been judicially recognized as a fundamental constitutional right since the case of Corfield versus Coriel, which again is an 1823 decision, in uh, Paul versus Virginia, which is an 1869 decision, the Supreme Court defined freedom of movement as the right of free ingress into other states and egress from them. However, interestingly enough, this again from uh, Wikipedia, the Supreme Court did not invest the federal government with the authority to protect freedom of movement. Under the Privileges and Immunities Clause, This authority is given to the states, a position that the Supreme Court has consistently held through the years in cases such as yada, 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 Ward versus Maryland, slaughterhouse cases, and U.S. versus Harris, which is in 1883 cases. All of those cases are in the late 1800s. So no uh, recent jurisprudence on freedom of movement, but interestingly enough, it's up to the states to protect their citizens' right to move about. So that raises an interesting question. What does New York do about the uh, Rhode Island pronouncement? But I thought you'd uh, find that of interest and in, in, in our listeners as well, uh, Jerry. But it's a very interesting question. What do you do if you're a New York uh, state uh, <laughs> citizen and you get pulled over in Rhode Island for solely for being from New York? Uh, I, I, that's an interesting question, and I don't know the answer to that, frankly. Is that what you would call, uh, you know, biased in, uh, you know, 
profiling, I believe. Well, and it's an interesting, you know, you would say, well, is that probable cause of criminal wrongdoing? I mean, do you have probable cause to make the stop? I don't, you're not really breaking the law by, you're not breaking the law by being from New York. So it's a, it's an interesting question. Uh, but yeah, it could, I think that could very, that could be a geographical profiling, I guess. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have to think about that one. That's an interesting question, but let's, uh, let's continue Jerry with our discussion about the right. uh, convention. It will happen online as we discuss. And well, it's not going to be a virtual. Let me just explain what's going to take place. Yeah. Um, we, we started back uh, as, as early as March 12th, which was Thursday because the Friday I had to go down to the VA in, in, in uh, Charleston, and we were like, we really want to go down there. And I got to tell you, the VA did a great job. It was the cleanest I've ever seen in the hospital. This is just an aside. And they had a doctor meet you at the door and check you for symptoms, and then you were given a sticker and you were allowed in and whatnot. So they, they handled it very professionally. So I'm going to give a little bit of a shout-out to the VA. They did a great, great job. But as far back as the, the 12th, um, the leadership uh, um Drew McKissick and Hope Walker put out a, a email to all the district chairs, all seven of us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we got the got the initial thing that we don't want to change anything yet because we, you know, we're talking a month away, and this was, you know, pre, very sure. Or we didn't know what was going on. Mm-hmm. And then um, another one, another message went out, um, and, and, and when they come out, it, it, there's a number of things that are going on. The most important thing that is going on right now is, of course, candidate filing. And that's taking place at the same time when these um, district chairs are going. But we have nothing to do with candidate filing. However, the state is extremely busy because they got to certify everybody. And I think, and uh, don't quote me on this, I think there's like 400 people in the state of South Carolina that file mm-hmm. this year for you know, the primary. So there's, there's a lot of work going on on that. So there's another communication that came out on the, on the 13th. And then we, you know, since everybody was looking at uh, the seventh, because we were the first uh, in the state, and believe it or not, we're going to be the first in the nation to have the um, have the meeting. And here's what takes place: um, every district has a meeting scheduled, and usually, what, what you do is you schedule it in concert of when your congressman will be available to be at the meeting, because it's his district that is. Uh, you know, doing the voting and what. So everybody goes and talks to, you know, gets, gets dates from the scheduler of, of, the, of their congressman to find out when they'd be available, and then we, you know, schedule the date. Because we don't know uh, if they're being called for committee meetings, this thing, that thing, sure. or the other. So that's, that's mm-hmm. all done. At these, at these conventions, uh, we are, we're picking a total of six, the first six people, that get the most votes of just the delegates there. And like I said, there's a, um, a, a universe in the 7th Congressional of 126. Whoever gets the first... So, well, well, this, just to cut you uh, yep. short, because we're going to be running out of time here in a, few, in, in a minute, uh, what, will the meeting actually take place in person, or will it take place online? Because I got the impression from the email I got from uh, Drew and Hope, at the, Hope Walker at the party that this would actually be sort of an online meeting. It's not going to be an online. What's going to be is you registered through Eventbrite, and that was done for a couple of reasons. One, legal. One, to make sure we could do a you know, a good count to make sure everybody that was elected last year are the people that are there. And that's to be verified by each county chair to make sure that they have the right thing. And what you'll do is you'll get another email 
with when we when uh, when the when the the balloting is ready, and that won't be ready. People have till noon today to declare whether or not they're going to be running for a national delegate or they're going to be running for a district office. Well, Jerry, we've got to go to a hard break. I appreciate your time. Thanks for the info, folks. We've got to go to a hard break. Jerry, thanks for joining us on the show. We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors with more Saturday Morning Coffee. Saturday Morning Coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour is now two full hours. Two full hours on Talk 94.5. everybody welcome back to saturday morning coffee the reese boyd radio hour i am reese boyd your host you've done it again you've filed away yet another hour listening to us on saturday morning coffee we're into the bonus second cup hour of saturday morning coffee this morning if you're uh, out listening and you'd like to participate we've had a couple of calls this morning that wanted to be heard offline but if you want to join the show you can reach us on our dial-in line that number is 843-903-2945 you can also text us your comments we've got some texts coming in this morning we'll get to those uh that text line number on the pcrx text line is 843-798-TALK that's 843-798-8255 if you want to text your comments into the studio on the PCRX text line. You can also tweet me at, at Reese Boyd. That's at Reese Boyd is the Twitter handle. You can email your comments to me at SMC at gmail.com. And you can also reach me during regular business hours uh, at Davis and Boyd, Attorneys at Law. That number is 843-839-9800. As I mentioned at the beginning of the program, we're joined um, this hour, actually joined now by a... I wanted to get the perspective of a healthcare professional on this morning's show because, frankly, one of the things that has been significant to me to watch has been the way the healthcare community has responded to this pandemic. There's been tension, obviously, over whether or not we are reacting sufficiently or overreacting. One of the things that has uh, caught my attention and why I've been hesitant to join this uh Uh, much ado about nothing bandwagon is I've seen quite a few of my friends in the medical and healthcare communities express uh, significant concern over this pandemic and its potential. So uh, we've all, uh, I think the prudent thing has been to take sort of a middle of the road wait and see course. And I thought it would be a good time to check in with somebody who's on the front lines and can give us uh, that perspective. So we're joined uh, this morning on the program by Dr. Michael Ratz. Dr. Ratz is the Medical Director for Hospital Medicine and also Chief of Staff with Tidelands Health Systems. He is an internal medicine hospitalist, and I believe he is on the air with us right now. Uh, Mike, can you hear me? Yeah, good morning, Reese. How are you, How sir? Are you? I'm great. I'm doing well, thank you. Good. Thank you, for, uh, thank you for joining us on the program. We appreciate your time. We know you're busy. Um, and 
I, Mike, we're friends. We're in full disclosure, we, we go to church together. We're in the same Bible study. I'll let people know the background. So we are, uh, we're, we're, we're friends. I'm going to call you Mike during the interview, if that's okay with you. That is absolutely okay. Thank All right. You. Well, thanks, uh, thanks for agreeing to uh, be on the show with us, for coming on Saturday Morning Coffee. I wanted to, again, get your take on a few of these things. And really, frankly, just wanted, uh, first of all, let me just say this. Um, I want to thank you on behalf of the listeners and everybody that I know is feeling exactly what I'm feeling, which is just a deep, heartfelt thanks for the sacrifices of the uh, uh, professionals in the healthcare community uh, that have responded, that have been on the front lines as we uh, fight this uh, pandemic. And, and I really believe we're at war, Mike. One of the things that uh, I have heard discussed and and, and some of my friends in, uh, at Capitol Hill have have had discussions about this. I would love to see as part of the relief package, and I hope one day we'll we'll, we'll see this enacted. I would love it to see. I would love to see uh, healthcare professionals uh, essentially pay no uh, federal income tax in 2020. And uh, I know I know that would probably make you happy, but I, I would think as a country uh, that would be one of the things that we could do to express our appreciation to the nurses. Uh, the techs, the doctors, everybody who has been on the front lines uh, fighting this war. And uh, I know you didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't bring you on the air to tell you that, but I wanted to just mention that we are uh, deeply thankful for all of y'all and, and what you have done and the sacrifices that y'all have made by, uh, by being on the front lines. So with that being said, tell us a little bit, if you would, about uh, what does it mean um, from your perspective, what is it like to be on the front lines as a, as a healthcare professional? How is, how has your world been transformed over the last couple of weeks? Yeah. So first of all, thank you for the sentiment. Um, it's not just physicians, it's healthcare staff everywhere. As you mentioned, these are first responders, nurses, respiratory therapists, phlebotomists. I mean, everybody's working hard. Um, you know, and the biggest thing I think from a healthcare perspective is, you know, we're not immune to this either. Everyone who's working diligently, putting in overtime right now is apprehensive as well. You know, we're apprehensive while we're at work, but also when we go home to our family. Um, I know several providers and nurses are not going home. They're going to stay elsewhere to self-quarantine so they don't bring germs home, uh, potentially. Sure. So, I mean, it, it, affects, it affects quite a bit. Um, now, from the front lines, I think the best thing is it's interesting times. I mean, they, these are unprecedented times that we're seeing in the healthcare world. This, my perspective is the inpatient setting. Uh, we take care of patients anywhere from the ICU to the regular medical surgical floors um, if they're getting admitted through the emergency rooms. Um, our hospitals at Thailand's Health have put uh, contamination rooms in or hallways. We've kind of sealed several areas off in the event that we are evaluating uh, patients under investigation, or PUI as, as we're calling it, um, where they come in with respiratory symptoms and a fever, um, or fever and just they don't look their best right now. Mm -hmm. um, so most of these patients are getting tested for uh, COVID-19. So we're putting them in a kind of separate units, if you will, just to protect uh, staff and not just staff, but the other patients of the hospital. Uh, sure. We have to remember that 
you know, it's just the hospital's not full of uh, patients under investigation. They're full of everyday medical patients as well that we have to juggle in amongst this. Sure. And on that note, are there, is the, uh, somebody mentioned to me that if, for instance, you were having a, a, a child or had to go to the hospital for other reasons, if you were involved in a car accident, that, that many hospitals uh, and even some in the area were restricting access uh, for to, to folks who were not essential, like if you if you had a family member who was uh, in a car wreck and, and you had to be admitted to the hospital, you might have to wait outside in the parking lot. Are there any sort of, sort of those kind of restrictions in place at Thailand's? There are. We, we do have uh, visitor restrictions in place, and they've been in place for about two weeks now uh, where we have no visitors uh, with certain exceptions. You know, we if there's a minor... Absolutely, we, we need uh, family members there. Uh, if someone, if we're making end-of-life decisions um, or end-of-life discussions, uh, we, we appreciate having family members there or their healthcare proxies to discuss these. We don't make those on our own. Um, if, unfortunately, someone is passing away, then we will have uh, family to be by their bedside. So there are exceptions, but in general, uh, there's no visitation. All right, that, that's what I had heard. I just I, I wanted to to get your perspective on that. I know I know there have been some posts I've seen on social media about you know children being born and, and certain family members not being allowed to be present. So obviously, that's a that's that's a concern out of the safety of everyone, including the the, the patients and and the visitors and the people that they would subsequently come into contact with. So. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Let me let me ask you this question: If you if you have an opinion, do you do you feel as from your perspective, do you feel like the general lockdown of the economy, the shelter in place um, directives, and the orders that have been handed down, do you feel like as a as a country, as a state, that we've generally responded to this appropriately, about right? Have we have we overreacted? Have we? Do you feel like we've gone too far? What what what's your take on that? Generally speaking, I think we're moving in the right direction in terms of having uh, quarantining and in terms of sheltering in place. And I, I think we're moving in the right direction. Had schools been open, we would have seen unprecedented numbers of uh, COVID-positive patients or even just spreading of viruses and fevers. And now we're going to inundate the healthcare system with testing um someone who has a fever uh, because we need we need to know what the epidemiology of this is what the spread is and locking down certain aspects of our economy and social structure uh, I think has been a good thing in terms of the spread of this virus sure um, Mike I had a few questions that I, a few other questions that I'm sure our listeners would love to hear and I wanted to cover with you but we've got to go to a break can you stick with us after a, a break we'll come back after these words if you if you've got a few more minutes I do okay great uh, y'all stick with us we'll be right back with more with dr. Michael Ratz with Tidelands Health uh, you're listening to Saturday morning coffee on WTKN stick with us we'll be right back with more after these words from our sponsors don't leave town Eight four three seven nine eight. Talk Saturday morning coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk ninety four point five. Saturday morning coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk ninety four point five. If you've been walking the same old road. 
Everybody, welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. You're uh, well into hour two of Saturday Morning Coffee, the bonus second cup hour. It's eight twenty-one on your Saturday morning, Saturday May uh, May March twenty-eight, twenty-twenty. Hope y'all are up and at them, enjoying your Saturday mornings. Hope we're helping you get that day going on the right foot. Want to give a shout out to some of our uh, loyal listeners texting in to us on the PCRX text line. Good morning to the climbers. They uh, checked in. Uh, they like uh, they like that song. Yes, that's a great song. He is a chain breaker. And uh, Augie, the golf course guy, checking in on the uh, PCRX text line. Augie, thanks for listening. Bobby the Vapor checking in. Will at Coastal Sports checking in with our question uh, regarding freedom of movement and what we're going to do about all these New York tags. Um, uh, Will says, so assign sled agents to babysit all the campers with New York tags that I've been watching rolling in all week on 544. And to enforce uh, violators, are we going to incarcerate those individuals and expose everyone at Jay Rubin to the coronavirus? That's a very <laughs> interesting question. If somebody is breaking the rules, what do you do with them? That's a very good uh, question, Will. I don't know that anybody has the perfect answer uh, for that. And uh, it is interesting to, uh, you know, figure out when, when you have somebody at the campground, who is going to enforce? There was a lot of discussion this week about the airport, about uh, screening visitors. But the reality is most people uh, who come to South Carolina arrive overland. They come in uh, on by way of the highways. So the, uh, the people who actually come in through Myrtle Beach International is actually a small portion of the, of the visitors who are actually here. So it's an, it's a a very tough problem to solve. I did see a tweet from the DOT over the last, I think, 24 hours that indicated there will be lane closures forthcoming on 17, uh, Highway 17 coming into the state. So if you're up in the, the Little River area and you're uh, utilize 17, you can expect some lane closures there. Interestingly enough, the tweet from the South Carolina DOT indicated that the reason for the lane closure was for the ins- the installation of uh, traffic monitoring equipment. So uh, read that as you will, folks. But I think what that means is DOT is installing uh, hardware to make sure that they have a handle on everybody coming into the state, or at least that they try to. And, of course, the technology certainly exists to photograph vehicles coming into the state and capture those license tags. What they will do with that information um, is, uh, is, uh, anybody's guess, uh, but that will give, uh, one more enforcement tool in the quiver, certainly, uh, if things go south. Um, 
personally, I've long been creeped out about all the surveillance that's going on around here. I, you know, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but, uh, you know, when I drive to work in the morning, I'm photographed uh, several times. But that's, an, that's uh, another issue for another day at the moment. We're trying to figure out how to fix this uh, pandemic. We are uh, in the midst of an interview. We'll get back with uh, Dr. Michael Ratz. Dr. Ratz is uh, with Tidelands Health. He is medical director for hospital medicine and also chief of staff, uh, 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 chief of staff with Tidelands Health Systems. He is an internal uh, medicine hospitalist, and he's giving us his perspective, uh, the perspective of the medical profession on the current coronavirus pandemic. Mike, thanks again for joining us. Are you still with us? I am here. Very good. Uh, Again, thanks for your time. Appreciate you uh, joining us on the show. Very interested to hear your perspective. And again, thank you to you and all the other members uh, of the healthcare community who are on the front lines fighting this war. And I do feel like we are at war, Mike. I feel like this is a challenge unlike anything that this country has faced in our lifetime. It is, uh, it is our, it, this is our World War II, is my opinion. Yeah, I agree. They're, these are very interesting times, and, you know, everything is unprecedented, you know, from the decisions healthcare makers or healthcare providers, administrators, government officials are making. Um, they don't have anything to go on. This is where they have to be making smart decisions. Yeah. Let, let me ask this question, Mike. I, this is one one of many questions that has been sort of noodling around with me since this started. It seems on one level to feel like we, we were somewhat caught unawares by this. And, you know, as you and I were talking briefly previously, this isn't the first, this not the fr- this on this scale, it's unprecedented, but we we had the avian flu. We had SARS back in the early two thousands. We had, you know, we had the swine flu. We had the Ebola scare. We had the Zika virus, and yet it feels like we just weren't entirely prepared for this. Is that is that? Am I reasonable to feel that way, or what's your what's your perspective? Yeah, I, I think it is. Um, it is now. I know the CDC um, and the WHO World Health Organization has been working behind the scenes diligently even before we thought it would even hit the uh, United States. But they've been they've been working diligently to try to figure this out. This is a fast moving uh, virus. It's uh, highly contagious. Now there there have always been things that healthcare industry has put in into motion in terms of preparedness for certain things. I mean, here locally, we always worry about hurricanes and emergency preparedness, especially when there's a surge of um, patients that may come to healthcare providers um, or the hospitals. Sure. Um, but this is, this is a little, little different. Um, you know, we had the H1N1 flu epidemic several years ago. There, there were steps that were taken already at that time as well. I think the biggest thing is we don't exactly know what this virus is. I mean, we have we have the microbiology of it, but now it's getting the tests out for it, the evaluation for this. Um, we we're also in a season where there's a lot of coughs and colds and potentially fevers from allergies. A lot of a lot of people are suffering from respiratory illnesses just from their allergies. We're still in a flu season. Mm-hmm. So there, there's also these parts that we have to look at. Um, it, and let's, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I didn't mean, I didn't mean to interrupt you. 
Well, like, uh, like I said, you know, if you come in coughing with a fever, we are going to test you. For right. it. Now, you may not need to come to the hospital. You may, we may tell you to self-quarantine at home. But it can very well be another virus that we routinely see at this time of year. Sure. And it, am I correct in my understanding that in order to test positive for coronavirus at present, with the current testing uh, tools that you have available, that you have to currently have the disease? You have to have the disease present in your system. Yeah, you, you have to have a, a, a viral load, yeah. if you will. Uh, so you have to have some of the virus. You may be, you may not be terribly symptomatic, although the people who are being tested and it's recommended to be tested are the ones that have symptoms. Mm-hmm. It, it seems to me, Mike, if we could really nail this testing question, if we could get to the point, and, and I would love to see, and I, I've heard some discussion about Amazon offering home testing in Washington state. And that seems ideal because that would avoid the need. If you, if you have, for instance, a, a, a nagging cough and you're, you're curious or, and frankly, it would be great if we had testing available at a level that everyone could just test. And if we could say, for instance, um, do that in the home, but if we could also not only have a test for the viral load, but also be able to test, have an antibody positive test where we could say, you know, you've got the any, you've got the, you've got the, you've had the disease and you've recovered, you should be fine. You know, we can release those people, you know, back into the general population, so to speak, because they should be good. It would seem if we could really nail this uh, testing down, be able to identify not just people who have the disease, but people who have had it and have recovered that, you know, we could really start to segregate. And I don't mean literally, well, I mean, but give people concrete direction as to okay you need to continue to isolate yourself or you're fine you can go back to work is that do you see that happening in the future yeah i mean it it would be nice to have something along those lines i mean it'd be great uh to have something at home uh there are many limitations with those you know first of all it'd be that the person doing the testing which be the individual has to reliably be able to do the test well Um, the biggest limitations right now are the number of tests and for the past several weeks, the turnaround time to get results back over this past week, latter half of this week, there've been several rapid tests that have been approved. Mm -hmm. Um, so those are starting to come out where we can get results within several hours. Uh, we've been waiting on tests upwards of a week, uh, in the past, uh, several weeks here when we've been testing. Mm-hmm. which has been a, a significant bottleneck for us. You know, individuals are self-quarantined at home, and they're just waiting. They're are, just waiting for results. They yeah. do well, but they're just waiting. Are healthcare workers being tested just as a matter of course, whether they're symptomatic or not, just for by virtue of the fact that they're on the front lines and, and have a higher no, risk of exposure? No, they're, they're not. Um, and I think that's the right decision not to. It's the CDC's recommenda- recommendation not to. Because the biggest thing right now are the resources. Yeah. yeah. You know, if, if we start testing everybody, we will run out of tests for the patients who actually need it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, the lab industry is going to get bogged down to have thousands upon thousands of tests they have to run. In a, and everybody wants results within five minutes sure yeah the other thing are uh temperature checks you know we're going to run out of thermometers yeah. so there, there are a lot of resources that go into being tested 
prophylactically, if you will. Yeah. Gen- generally speaking, do you feel confident about the ability of the healthcare system just generally across the board, but but also just locally here in, in Ori and Georgetown counties to, to respond to the continuing uh, threat of this pandemic? I, I do. Um, I, I'm confident that regardless of where we're at, we're going to be uh, able to serve the patient, especially Ori, Georgetown County. Uh, we, we're prepared here. There's surge plans. Now, with that said, it may not look the same as the hospital setting as it would have last year. Sure. Uh, there are a lot of different um, things that healthcare systems have done to prepare for surge capacity. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think we're well prepared and we continue to evolve. Very good. Aside from the things that we've all heard many times, social distancing, washing your hands routinely, I know my hands are starting to chafe. I've washed them so many times in the last week. Is there, is there any particular advice you'd have for our listeners that you'd like to, you'd like to offer? Uh, yeah, sure. I, I think you're absolutely right. Hand washing is about most important. Hand sanitizer, if you can find it, but soap and water works just fine. Just make sure you're washing uh, for what they say 20 seconds or longer. Uh, the biggest things are if you're feeling symptomatic, don't just rush to the emergency room. Go to your primary care office. If you don't have a primary care office, you know, certainly you can contact Thailand's Health uh, and they will set you up. Um, if and be careful of the gimmicks out there for treatment and prevention. Uh, you may be able to buy stuff. I would strongly advise you not to talk to your physicians, primary care doctors about azithromycin or the Z-Pack. Hydroxychloroquine, also known as Plaquenil, to prescribe. There are no recommendations to treat minimally symptomatic patients. There are some anecdotal studies, a very small number to treat within an intensive care unit in the hospital setting. Um, I know a lot of my primary care colleagues are being requested to prescribe these. We will run short on supplies if this happens, and there's no indication for treatment of these. So if, if you can refrain from asking physicians to provide this, uh, at least we'll have resources for those who need it. Uh, Plaquenil or hydroxychloroquine is used for a lot of autoimmune illnesses, and if we run short on that supply, then the patients who need it for their chronic maintenance will not have it either. Yeah. Well, Mike, uh, I want to thank you for your time. I know you're very busy. You've got a lot going on, and we have we have taken uh, quite a bit of your time. And I want to thank you again for your service and for the service of the medical community on the front lines of fighting this pandemic. Um, and just uh, thanks for all you do, and uh, thanks for giving us your time this morning. It's been very helpful, very informative. Thank you, Reese. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Stay safe. Thank you. You too. That was Dr. Michael Ratz, folks, with Tidelands Health. And we'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors with more Saturday morning coffee. Stay safe. Don't leave town. Be right back. I picked up a bag. I went looking for a place to hide. Saturday morning coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. And more coming up next on Talk 94.5. You're listening to the Reese Boyd Radio Hour, Saturday morning coffee on Talk 94.5. 
Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. We're deep in the second inning, the second bonus cup hour. Hope that second cup tastes just as good as the first cup. It's uh, 8.39 on your Saturday morning, Saturday, March 28, 2020. I want to thank Dr. Michael Ratz for joining us for that prior segment. Uh, Listener Susan Butler texting in on the text line. Good morning, Susan. Hope you're doing well this morning. Thanking us uh, for having Dr. Ratz on. Uh, Very informative segment, and and I think the thing to do, folks, is... uh, don't lose your cool. Let's continue to use good judgment. Be prudent. Continue to socially isolate when you can. But we are going to uh, get through this. This too shall pass. And as I um, indicated at the top of the show uh, earlier this morning, I think the data is now pointing, uh, hopefully, uh, in, a, in a bit of a positive direction. Some of the studies that were initially cited as bringing, uh, you know, a, sort of to a standstill, uh, economically speaking. Uh, are being revised downward, and so we'll see what happens. I think the next uh, few days, the next week, are going to obviously going to tell us a lot. But um, uh, earlier in the show, we were talking about um, we were talking about uh, the local government ordinances that had been enacted to uh, restrict uh, visitation in Myrtle Beach, and folks uh, being instructed to leave if you haven't been here since at least uh, March fifteen that uh, you are uh, uh, supposed to leave by Saturday. Then the governor came out with a, uh, excuse me, the attorney general came out with an opinion uh, questioning whether or not uh, uh, there was authority, uh, which calls into question whether or not there's authority for such actions. And uh, specifically, this attorney general opinion uh, from Attorney General Wilson, uh, which was uh, just released yesterday, says, in conclusion, consistent, I didn't actually read the opinion when we were discussing it earlier, in conclusion, consistent with our 1980 opinion, we reaffirm that local government cannot exercise emergency powers delegated to the governor by the General Assembly. As our General Assembly codified into state law, the governor, as the elected chief executive of the state, is responsible for the safety, security, and welfare of the state. South Carolina Code annotated, yada, yada, yada. Therefore, counties and municipalities should be aware that any unauthorized exercise of such emergency powers could subject those political subdivisions to liability at the behest of private citizens with requisite legal standing. So it's kind of an interesting discussion. Then, of course, we had the governor issue his own uh, executive order uh, requiring visitors to the state to quarantine for two weeks uh, or uh, the, the, the term of their visit, uh, whichever the case uh, may be, whatever the case may be, whatever time period is longer. And to the extent that there is a conflict between the governor's executive order and the municipal ordinances, the governor's executive order um, suggests that it preempts those local ordinances. I, I'll, I'll give you this. This is one lawyer's opinion as I have uh, discussed this online with various local officials, I believe that, that the, the theory there, and, and it underlies the, uh, the, re- the conclusion in Attorney General Wilson's opinion, and perhaps we'll get uh, Attorney General Wilson on next week to maybe discuss this issue with us if I can get him, uh, is that the police power, the ultim- ultimately the state has what's called the police power to protect the health, the welfare, the safety of its citizens. According to this theory, that power has not been delegated uh, to the local level, but it's been delegated to the governor. And the, the governor, the state, is the actual sovereign where the police power resides. It doesn't reside in Conway. 
it resides in Columbia or Georgetown, if you're in Georgetown County. And so the interesting question then is exactly how far can these local governments go? Well, I, I happen to think that local government, I, as a general rule, I believe the government that governs best is the government that is closest to the people. As I said on the Liz Calloway show this week, I don't have to be terribly concerned that in O'Ree County, Sheriff Thompson is going to continue, uh, be interested in continuing to lock everybody down after this pandemic uh, has transpired. But if we delegate, if we federalize this issue, if we move that decision to Washington, then I think we've made a tragic mistake and that, that one that will be long lasting and to our detriment. Once that power is delegated to Washington, once we federalize that issue, that power doesn't come back. And so I continue to support this idea that local governments should continue to act reasonably. And, and if they believe the visitors to our county, to our city, to whatever our local municipality is, constitute a public safety threat to the citizens of their jurisdiction, I believe they have a duty to act. I mean, sitting back and doing nothing is not what we elected them to do. And to the extent that we push the limits a little bit, I don't think the full police power is required to enact those restrictions. So interesting, uh, interesting question. We'll have to see how this all gets sorted out. As we have said many times, these are uncharted waters. So but stick with us. We've got more to talk about coming up. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors with more Saturday morning coffee. Don't leave town. Saturday morning coffee. Call the show at 843-903-2945. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour returns after these on Talk 94.5. Thanks for waking up with Saturday morning coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk 94.5. everybody welcome back to saturday morning coffee you're in the final segment of saturday morning coffee i want to give a shout out to our guest this morning again my thanks to jerry rovner scgop chairman for the seventh uh district uh gop convention coming up in april uh, we'll be posting some information about that convention on our social media facebook page if y'all want to check it out there if you want to get more information also want to thank Dr. Michael Ratz with Tidelands Health, who gave us a lot of great information about the uh, coronavirus situation, the pandemic, and uh, a lot going on. A few things I wanted to mention to you guys briefly um, in closing this morning. Just so much to talk about. Um, there is, um, uh, interestingly enough, we talked uh, early on about what a, a, it looks like we're going to have just a beautiful, uh, beautiful weekend weather-wise. Want to remind you guys that the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources has tweeted out uh, the following: We know the weather is nice. This tweet uh, 
uh, just yesterday, by the way. We know the weather is nice. We know you are looking for every reason to get outside. If you do get out on the water this weekend, keep in mind that officers will be patrolling and dispersing crowds as needed. Stay safe and practice good social distancing. Interestingly enough, the tweet is accompanied by a photo of two DNR officers in a relatively smallish center console vehicle that, is, that uh, precludes them from, uh, they're not, in fact, uh, practicing safe social distancing, but the uh, tweet notes that that is a file photo. That is not real time. So I'm sure the DNR agents themselves are practicing uh, safe social distancing. So be aware of that if you are outside. I, there obviously was a lot of uh, press over the last week or so about crowds on the beaches. If you are out and about this weekend, and we encourage you to get out. I've told my family I think a very safe place to be is out on the beach walking uh, fresh air and and, um, hopefully uh, no risk out there as long as you do practice uh, safe social distancing. Just be reminded of that. Other thing I wanted to mention, there was a a story that we have, uh, we we talked briefly about on the Liz Calloway show this week. Uh, I was uh, on the show uh, uh, Friday. We, you know, there's a very troubling article that's been uh, published, been circulating now for about a week. It's been written about in the Daily Mail. A few of the Huffington Post has written about it. Various uh, sites here, stateside, have uh, talked about it. And it's very concerning to y'all. We're all about limited government, better government, limited constitutional government. But one of the things that I really want to see in, in, in government at all levels is accountability and transparency. And uh, we just don't have any room for what I'm about to describe to you. There's uh, ongoing stories about four members of Congress, uh, Richard Burr, Dianne Feinstein, Kelly Loeffler, and James Inhofe, who apparently sold millions of dollars of their own stock holdings while Capitol Hill was being briefed on the coronavirus threat. And of course, this was before uh, the markets began to tank as a result of um, of all of this news. So while your 401k, while your investment portfolio has, uh, if you're like so many of us, has been slaughtered uh, this week in the market grinder, uh, just be aware that there are a handful and perhaps more. This is an ongoing inquiry. There are a handful of senators out there and perhaps some congressmen, some House of Representative members who have essentially traded in reliance on the information uh, that they received as a result of their briefings on Capitol Hill about how bad the coronavirus uh, pandemic was going to be. And again, that's, um, you know, Richard Burr, senator from North Carolina, head of Senate intelligence, was directly briefed on the coronavirus. According to various reports, he sold up to one point seven million of his own stock holdings between January and February. Diane Feinstein on the same Senate Intelligence Committee sold up to $6 million in her stock holdings in the same period. Kelly Loeffler on the Senate Health Committee sold up to $3.1 million of her uh, stark, uh, excuse me, stock holdings starting on the very day that her committee was briefed by the CDC. James Inhofe sold $400,000 uh, in stocks, including uh, some real estate investments, all on January 27th. And so I think the question becomes what, what to do with these folks. At the very least, uh, they should be removed from office if that, is, uh, if, that is, if that is in fact proven to be true. And I should note, <laughs> all, all suspects are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Uh, for her part, Kelly Loeffler, I know, has, uh, has denied this. She said uh, her tweet 
uh, indicated that this was a ridiculous, baseless attack. I do not make my investment decisions for my portfolio. Investment decisions are made by multiple third-party advisors without my husband's knowledge or involvement. And yada, 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 you you would anticipate some of these uh, statements. But nonetheless, there are very disconcerting indications that various members of Congress utilized information that they received by virtue of the Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, the various committees dealing with the coronavirus pandemic, that they utilized that information to protect uh, the value of their portfolio by liquidating equity holdings before the market tanked. And all I'm saying is you guys need to watch that issue. We will be reporting it. And to the extent that it's true, those people need to be, they need to be sanctioned. They need to be removed from office. And if in fact it's true and we can construe this information to be in for insider trading, those individuals, even the Republicans, need to be criminally prosecuted. Um, it's not fair for the people who turn the wrenches and work for a living to have their 401k slaughtered while a few people inside the Beltway got inside information on the severity of this briefing and used that information to protect their investment holdings. That is, that is, that is, that is the poster child of corrupt government at every level. So keep that in mind. Don't let that issue drop. We need to follow that issue to wherever it leads. And, uh, and pursue it. Somebody shared something with me interesting this week, folks. I'll share this with you in, our, um, in, the, uh, in the parting uh, wisdom segment. This is uh, from C.S. Lewis. And it's an interesting thing that C.S. Lewis wrote, very applicable to our age. C.S. Lewis wrote it during the atomic age. And it helps us, I think, to understand how to respond to the current crisis that we are living through. C.S. Lewis wrote, in one way, we think a great deal too much about the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age. I am tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in Viking ages when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat at any night, or indeed as you are already living in an age of cancer, in an age of various other diseases that he names, in an age of air raids, in an age of railway accidents or car accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, you and all whom you love are already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in rather unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very particular advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics. And we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful death uh, to a world that already bristled with such chances of death itself, where, and where death is not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made. The first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we're all going to be destroyed by the atomic bomb, then let the bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing our children, playing tennis, chatting with our friends over a pint and game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, but they need not dominate our minds. Let me leave you with this bit of wisdom, folks, as I always do from the Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Y'all have a great week. Be blessed. Don't lose hope. This too shall pass. 
We'll be back next week with more Saturday Morning Coffee. Join us then. Berlin Wolf here with Carolina Cool. 